0: Get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zimbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com, and definitely check out those shows as well. Abby Morgan is the author of This Is Not a Pity Memoir. Abby is a playwright and screenwriter. Her plays include Skinned, Sleeping Around, Splendor, Tiny Dynamite, Tender, Fuji, 27, Love Song, and The Mistress Contract. Her television works include My Fragile Heart, Murder, Sex, Traffic, Tsunami, The Aftermath, White Girl, Royal Wedding, Birdsong, The Hour, River, and The Split. Her film writing credits include Brick Lane, Iron Lady, Shame, The Invisible Woman, and Suffragette. She has a number of films currently in development. Morgan has won a number of awards, including BAFTAs and an Emmy for her film and TV work. Abby was kind enough to do an event with me with the North Castle Public Library, which is available on YouTube. So if you Google that, you can see us chatting live about both of our memoirs. And she was so nice to me. So anyway, I just love Abby, and I love this book. Hi. Hi. I see. Oh my God, I'm loving
2: your book. Oh, I loved your book. <laughs> I love your book. It's exquisite. I'm right where you've met Kyle. Oh, <laughs> I'm really loving it. Honestly, I've been such a lovely, it's just lovely. Well done. Oh, thank you. Very it's very moving and warm and for fami- I just, it's just totally, I mean, I've been e- eating it up. So well done.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. That is so nice. (laughs) I absolutely loved your book. And to hear you say that is just the highest praise. So.
2: uh, Oh, well, I mean, what an amazing, what an amazing career you've had. Oh,
0: (laughs) Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm not doing anything right, but you know, there are those mornings. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for saying all that. All right, well, let's talk about your book because I am obsessed with your book and just over the moon, excited. All right, well, official welcome, Abby. Thank you for coming on, for talking about This Is Not a Pity Memoir, which I absolutely 100% adored, posted about, love, obsessed, everything. It's so good and I, oh my gosh. Anyway, welcome.
2: Thank you, thank you. Well, you know that feeling of a memoir. It's, it's both liberating and exposing. Yes. You know, I've described it a little bit like when you've got slightly too drunk at a party and you tell too much and then the <laughs> next day you wake up thinking, what have I said? <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that's on repeat in my life at the moment. You know, so, when, so I'm sure you know it as well, but it's, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great experience, but it's also quite, quite peculiar. So it's lovely to get that kind of response. It's incredibly reassuring to get that kind of response because there are days, I think, when one wakes up thinking, gosh, I've really spilt onto the page here. <laughs> no, but that's what makes it so
0: good. I mean, especially because when you, the way you tell your story, it's like, were you journaling the whole time? How do you remember? all? It feels like you're so in, in the scenes, so immediate as if you're like living through it as you're writing it.
2: Well, actually, I think the structure of the book's kind of interesting because I, I wrote a very kind of essential journal for the f- first hundred days. I mean, I'm someone who keeps notes all the time. Yeah. I record notes. I write little things. I, I record dialogue occasionally, you know, when you're in yeah. a room. I think this is amazing. <laughs> but I think I'd always had this kind of collage of extraordinary pieces of information my entire life. And and the nature of the kind of work I've done, it's often got, you know, I think one of the first things I did was about sex trafficking in Moldova. And I did so much research. And I love research. So I think that was definitely the starting point. And I think there is, you know, I talk about the structure of the book because I think the first hundred pages of the book has the energy of that journal. And and that was very much when I was I was in survival mode. Whereas actually, I think the second half of the book is, you know, was much more reflective and, and was based on the kind of collage of notes and images and videos I had kept. But it has a different pace for me. And that's also because it, it, it kind of marries with a different part of the, the journey and the uh, of the experience, I guess. You know, the first 100 days is, yeah, is very much about when myself and my family are kind of thrust into this medical crisis. And so, you know, it it has that sort of that energy and that adrenaline running through it. And, and it's very interesting when I read that, those journals, I was very quickly starting to switch, you know, to the first person, to the third person the whole time. You know, it's, it was very, it was very interesting, the shift I was finding. So a lot of that started to actually inform the, you know, the final memoir. Wow! I should
0: probably back up for listeners who don't know much about your book. I, of course, wanted to jump right in because I'm like, let's go deep. But uh, maybe you could describe a little more yeah. you know, how you got the title, which you write about in the book, and yeah. um, what happened to your hu- not even husband then, but just tell yeah, the yeah. story of what this is about.
2: So the the memoir really opens on the morning of June 2018. Uh, you know, I, I, I've lived with my partner Jacob for a, for a kind of At that point, God, um, nearly 18 years. And we have two teenagers and we have a very, very nice, quite normal, you know, existence in, in living in North London in the UK. My husband's an actor. I'm a screenwriter. So everything, 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 you know, like any writer, we see everything through the prism of our medium. And certainly screenwriting is the prism I saw my life through often, and the morning that morning, Jacob, who had an underlying condition of multiple cirrhosis, which he's had for about seven eight years at the time, and was very high functioning, you know, he'd been doing a movie that week, he'd been in a TV show that week, you know, I'd, I'd been testing his lines only a couple of nights before, he had, was complaining of a headache, and I had put it down to kind of rolling my eyes, man, flu, but it, you know, agreed to go off and pick up medication. But it was really the morning everything changed because when I came back, I found Jacob collapsed on the bathroom floor. And so ensued the start of a very different kind of cataclysmic backflip in our lives. Um, Jacob, after a period of about two weeks, as we watched him cognitively, psychiatrically, physically unravel, was placed into a medically induced coma. And as he was going into that coma, it was recognised that he developed something called anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis, otherwise known as brain on fire. And the book really is about, it's about that period where Jacob goes into the coma. And it's about reflections on that time and how we as a family and my children, and I survived, but also as as the journey goes on, it's really about a reflection of how Jacob and I know each other and how we met and really what makes up us because I suppose, You know, the key element is that when Jacob woke up from the coma, whilst we were all punching the air that, my gosh, he's alive. And, you know, although we could see there was a long way in terms of rehab for him to go, none of us had expected him to survive it. But it very quickly became apparent that, you know, the old age old trope, which which I had even joked about with my friends, which was, you know, can you imagine if he wakes up and doesn't know who you are? you know, careful what you wish for, it came true. And so Jacob within the first couple of weeks it became apparent that he couldn't quite assess who I was. And 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 the book really is about the moment and thereafter where He has developed a very rare delusion called Capgras delusion, which is the belief in doubles or imposters. And it's often focused on someone close to you. It can be a dog, it can be a house. But actually with, with his delusion, it was focused on me. And it's about the period as Jake recovers and comes home and goes through, you know, goes through his rehab, Come, we acclimatize as a family, all the while Jacob doesn't know who I am. And it's really about how I reflect on the Jacob that I was with now versus the Jacob I knew in our life together, As I, I guess as a kind of exploration of my own identity, the identity of our relationship, when we became both very challenged, you know, and, and the relationship became challenged. And the title comes really out of the very first conversation I ever had with Jacob, where I, uh, in you know, in 2000, I met Jacob at a dinner party and at the time I was a young writer I could barely say I was writing I'd been waitressing for so long but I had I was chasing the the film rights on a really beautiful book called Before I Say Goodbye, which is a collection of essays and emails by a wonderful journalist called Ruth Piketty, who sadly died at a very young age of of cancer. And it's really about the last few months of her life where she writes incredibly movingly, but with huge spirit and wit about that period. And I was, I'd fallen into conversation with Jacob and I happened to say I've you know, I, I, I'm trying to chase the rights on this book. And not only had he read the book, but he was very intrigued by the what I was doing. And there was a very drunk girl next to him who I, at the time, you know, I I'd sort of was trying to navigate, but she, I, she was like, oh, I can't bear those pity memoirs. And the thing was, I noticed Jake went, really, I love them. And so really the book is a kind of homage really to that first conversation, but also at, at its heart, it's about a moment where Jacob and I met and, Really, it's I suppose it's been at the ethos of my relationship with Jacob, which is he has always been such an advocate for me to write about my truth, but also to, to, to be quite fearless about the way I interrogate my work and the lives of others that I write about. And I guess when this happened, it was one of those conversations that really resonated for me and 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 as a title in fact it wasn't my title it was it was my book agent who said you've got to call it this you know i had a very i had i had one of those titles that when you scroll through there's about 30 different versions of that title so wait I'm what sorry. was your what was your title i my title was what remains and i guess it was very much about me trying to remember you know think about what remains of a relationship when something is so radically broken and changed but I will be forever grateful that she found that title for me because as a result you know it's a little bit like the Arthur Miller line you know he used to he used to type up what the play was about and stick it on his typewriter and for me I guess that was a kind of an unconscious mantra Mm -hmm. uh, certainly when I was living the experience of just because no one tells tells you and I mean I think it's something you capture so beautifully in your book and I, I felt such a I felt this relief reading, listening to your book, and then I, I've, I've oscillated between reading and listening to it, as I often do when it gets dark and I'm tired. I flip into audio, and I find it very comforting that that writing and the and the words become such a wonderful release. And and when I see it in other people's work, I'm reminded, and I guess I feel it's okay to have done what I've done, you know. So I I really enjoyed, it. and there's, because there's so much wit in it as well as pain, you know, and that is what life is made up, isn't it? Of you know, life and death, love and pain tenderness, brutality. And I guess that's, that's also what I wanted to try and capture and understand, I guess. That's a very long answer. To-
0: I loved it. I <laughs> want to just sit here and listen to you talk all day, especially when you say nice things about my book, <laughs> but most mostly about your own journey. You know, it's not just that he didn't remember you. It's that he remembered there was an Abby Morgan. He just didn't think that it was you. And he would say things like, oh no, well, Abby Morgan did that. And you're
2: like, well, I'm right here. It's Kafkaesque. I mean, that's the thing. You you know, I think when you're, you're absolutely right, it's in a way, it's a kind of writer's dream. I mean, there was always this very mercenary part of me kind of thinking... I mean, part of me was always having that conversation with the Jacob I knew, which is kind of, I cannot wait to tell you what you did. Yes, I can't yes. wait for you to to know what you did. And then I think the other part is survival. And I think as a writer, you know, I think an essential remit in my life has been has been to be the observer. I mean, I found it very interesting the way you talked about alcohol in your book, and I totally, totally identified with that. You know, I I, I found I found my voice, my personality. I felt like it turned me on. You know, I felt like it brought me into the room and and I think essentially what writing did for me was it allowed me to be that observer and it allowed me to, to communicate in the way that I could, which is quietly when no one was there. And so I think when, when it did happen, you're right, you know, when Jacob first woke up, it was, it was, you know, it became, it was, it was this kind of strange, you know, comical navigation. You know, I, I, when I first found out that Jacob, you know, when I first, it really resonated was it was, and I talk about it in the book, but it was Valentine's Day and I'd taken in a bright red cheesy heart. You know, Jacob and I were were pretty indifferent to Valentine's Day. You know, as I say, you know, sometimes it was a, you know, it was kind of takeout and a, a movie, and you know, other times you, you just loathed each other, and other times you might be extravagant. You know, it was really you could really test the kind of temperature of the relationship. But I bought in this bright red cheesy heart, and I tied it to the end of his bed, and I went, "Hey, honey, you know, Happy Valentine's Day," and I saw two things in his face. I saw a sort of mild horror and embarrassment for me, and the, the very sweet nurse gave him a, you know, gave, gave him a kind of rose wrapped in cellophane, the kind of rose you get on holiday, you know, where when they bring to you at the, at a table in a restaurant. And she said, you know, give your wife, give your wife the rose. And, and I remember he just looked at me and went, she's not my wife. And even then, you know, the bartering goes on inside. I was like, okay, he means, yeah, of course I'm not married. He means his girlfriend. That's... But actually it was a, it was a very, it was, it was a real profound moment for me. And I, I, you know, I talk about shaking, and I—I I literally, I remember coming down the stairs and sort of touching the walls, going, is, "You know, like—is it? It can't be the underground." You know, I'm—we're four stories up, but it felt like it was, you know, the subway underneath my feet. And I think it was just shot, But very quickly, you know, I started to—you know—you you navigate, you negotiate, you barter, you're intrigued, you provoke, and one of the things I. I, I it became apparent was that when you started to question Jacob's thinking, you know, it's called confabulation, they call it, which is when you kind of confabulate this story. And it's very, it often runs with brain injuries because, you know, somebody who has, a, has an injured brain is trying to make sense of the world. And, you know, Jacob's brain had gone through this massive kind of continual se- seizuring period for six months. And so I knew there was some a lot of rebuilding and and the doctors were trying to work out where the damage was. And so in a way, part of my conversations was trying to map out what was going on here. And so it, it, it became apparent quite quickly that he had devised this idea that, you know, I'd say, you know, where, so where, where, where's she gone? And he was referred to me as Abby and and her as Abby Morgan, and he would say, "She's gone away. She's got a new life with someone else." And I, at the time, I'm thinking, "My God, that she, I, I'd be so lucky right now." You know, I kind of, and and when I sort of dug deeper, I he 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 developed this idea that we were living. In, you know, he now had a beautiful apartment, and it was in Hampstead. And this was somewhere that Jake and I often used to say, you know, when the kids have flown the nest, we're gonna we're gonna buy an apartment. It's gonna overlook Hampstead Heath, is a beautiful part of North London. We live near it. We have to walk there and you know, would be able to look over the heath. And so it it was this strangely kind of painful yet tender sort of story, I realized, he told himself. And, And over that time, you know, it then very quickly evolved into him. You know, he was very intrigued, sometimes concerned why I was so interested in his children. And I... I would say, well, look, they're very nice children. You know, they're they're great kids, you know, and, you know, and I think for everyone around us, you know, for his poor family, for my family, for our children, they just, at first, no one could believe it because it was so absurd. But then he would obviously, you know, pull people aside and say, how are you falling for it? She's clearly not Abby Morgan. And and so there was a sort of strange madness to it. But I very quickly realized that, you know, there was a way to Jacob's heart and it was cake (laughs) and smoothies. And you know the Guardian and the Sunday Times and you know the the latest Netflix box set and and company and making him laugh. And so, within the first few weeks, he 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 suddenly said to me one day, "You must be working for the state." And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "So the state's employed you to come and help me." And I said, "Yeah, I've been employed to come and help you and the children." And 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 when that happened, there was a shift, and he kind of started to accept that I was. I mean, I did feel like I was slightly treated like you know the the kind of the hired help, you know, there was a sort of strange relationship. So, you know, when, when other family members would arrive, he would ask me to wait outside. Thank you very much. You can go outside now. So there was a very, so, you know, and I, I, you know, as the, as the book clearly captures, you know, I'm navigating my way through, I mean, moments of real insanity and rage and fury. And, and yet, you know, I think it's something else that, you know, I also think you talk about in your book and it, it's a very simple you know, and in some ways I think I, it's something I refer to and I, I, I worry it was a platitude, but when I heard it in your book, I was really reassured, which is all we are left with is love. And I don't know exactly what that is, but I call it a hum. Mm-hmm. And I just always, even when it was in the hardest moments with Jacob, I just had this huge hum of feeling for him. You know, I mean, even talking about it now, it's still, it's still, I, I can't describe it. It's, you know, I, I think perhaps the only really unconditional love one has is for one's children. But I was reading recently the kind of Greek idea of seven kinds of love. And there's a kind of, there is that love that, you know, and they're fascinating from eros to Agape. to so, you know, lots of, but one of the loves they talk about is a love that has been there for a long time that dissolves into something unconditional. And I, I realized that there was something quite unconditional and it wasn't just because Jacob was my partner or the father of my children. It was as a human being, you know, and I felt very profoundly connected that you know, it became apparent to me that Jacob may not come back to me, but there was a way of getting him back to himself. You know, and so that really became the focus and the drive. And I, I guess it was it was distilled for me once we brought Jacob home. And you know, our home is very important. We always laugh because each floor of our house has been renovated on a based on a different movie. I, I'm a screenwriter, so based on a different movie that I've managed to get finally get away. So you know, we've got we've got like you know, the book is built on a. A, a drama I did about, about the tsunami and how the tsunami happened. And then, you know, the ground floor was renovated that because, you know, I managed to get Iron Lady, which is a Margaret Thatcher film. We call it the suffragette wing our bedroom. You know, there's so different, different floors have different resonance, but it's a house very much that Jake and I have built together, but really he has. And so coming back to the bones of our house, I was hoping that would start to help locate me in that world. But then it was a very clear moment within the first few weeks where... We were standing in the hallway and I was taking Jacob back into hospital to see a consultant. And at that point, you know, Jacob, was very difficult for Jacob to physically move. And so I'd managed to prop him up against a wall. And You know, if you've raised a child, then when you deal with someone in this condition, there are lots of similarities. So I propped him up. I'd managed to clear him, of you know, toast crumbs. And I was getting him his coat and I just saw him look at himself in the hallway mirror. And I just saw this look and I said, I just pointed at his reflection. I said, who is that? And he just said, I don't know. And in that moment, it was like a penny drop. And I thought, OK, it's not that he doesn't know me. He doesn't know himself. And if he can find out himself, then he'll find me. And I guess that was just the guiding light for me, the principle of the whole thing. And so, yeah, I mean, so the book is also about that. You know, it's about it's about, I mean, it's certainly not a journey I do on my own. It's 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 a journey that, my gosh, you know, we were very lucky. You know, I'm not Jewish Jewish. Jake is Jewish again, something I loved in your book. That sort of the ishness, the ish that, that I've come to love in our life, actually, that we're a bit ish. But, you know, we, we were very helped by our families, our friends and and those people around us. But it's, it, 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 yeah, it's the journey of negotiation. As as, Jake, as I sort of help and we help Jake negotiate and find himself and in finding himself, the hope was that he would find me again, I guess. And that was it. Oh, my gosh.
1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests, even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life. There are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com help, slash moms don't have time. There was this, this one moment when he went out to lunch with a friend and he came back and the friend was like, well, he's a, he's a nice bloke. It's not not Jacob, but this, yeah. this man seems nice. And yeah. I feel like that's how you all were treating him. And yet- still embracing everything. I mean you you talk about all the feelings of how you cope with this from the unexpected like moments where you are bored, right? You're like it's boring. No one talks about this and all the other things no one talks about, but what I kept looking for is where is the moment where she's like I'm I can't do this anymore. Like he thinks Abby Morgan already left. Like let me just get out of here. Like but there was none of that. And I was like is she ever going to reach the point where She's like I cannot do this. This is, you know, cuz cuz any rational person reading this could be like, how? How can you do this? How can you how can anybody in this situation not want to just, you know, melt down or leave or whatever and of course you stay. Mm-hmm. Like in and, mm-hmm. and even that that when he said early on, like don't ever let me be in this spot. Like at first when I was reading it I was like, oh, he's just mad at her because he realizes that he, you didn't listen when he said he didn't ever want to be in a position where you would have to take care of him. I was like, oh, that's why he's giving her this side eye in the hospital. It's not that he doesn't remember her. But then, of course, we quickly realized that it is what that is. So oh, did you ever think, like, I'm just going to get out of here?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's something that people have said to you. You're so brave. You're so mm-hmm. strong. You know, they say, yes. you know, and, and it's very kind and, you know, the kind of raging kind of narcissist to me it goes, yes! But actually... Yeah. I mean, it's not that I didn't not, I mean, I definitely had my absolute break in, breakage moments. And in fact, you know, there's a long bit of the story still to go that we're involved, you know, that I'm in now. And, you know, no one tells you that there's a continual renegotiation of the self and who you are as a couple, you know, when, you know, when you go through that and and, and get to a better place, I guess you know, I, I felt like my kids weren't quite cooked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I grew up, my parent, I came from divorce. I grew up from, I have a very strong mother. I grew up with a lot of women around me. It's not that I was ever or have been frightened of being on my own. Although who isn't at times frightened of being their own? I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to kind of sugarcoat that. But I, I, I think it was so immediate that the need to kind of try and bring Jake back, but also I think it was about my ego. I honestly think, you know, I was a bit like a spurned lover who was like, you are going to work out that you've made the terrible mistake. So I think that was, I, I honestly do. I think there was this indignation in me. I also, I've got, um, you know, I've got ADD and it's really weird, but I spend a lot of time trying to calm the voices in my head. So I think I'm probably well-versed in how to negotiate those different voices. And I think it's something, you know, one of the things in the book, I mean, what's really interesting, Jacob has never read the book. Mm-hmm. And I've written the book in many ways for him. You know, I, I speak to him often. It's often to you. And and I sometimes, I do think, I, I do, you know, on my worst days, I think, God, I wonder if he's going to leave me when he finally reads this book. Because, you know, I do talk about those bleak moments, those dark moments, those days where I was like, I'm like, there are days, you know, when he looked like he was going to die and there are days when he lived and I I really questioned whether it was the right thing for him, it was the right thing for me, you know, whether we were going to survive it. So it's not that there isn't the most ugly, you know, darkest parts of myself out there. So I'm certainly not a saint, but I guess... It's what I said before, you know, in a weird way, it's that it was bigger than me. And, you know, Jacob, I've always, I mean, it's something, it's an energy. You, you know, you talk about it in your book, you know, that kind of, that superhero, and I can't describe it. And it's something that I'm almost loathe to tell my children because I don't want, you know, I, I think, well, maybe it was just distinctive to me. But when I first met Jake, I talk about it in the book, there was just this internal ping. And it wasn't just a ping of like, here's an attractive guy. Here's somebody who's who I think is attracted to me. It was like it was deeper than that. This was someone I just wanted to be around. You know, this was a warmth, this was a spirit, this was this was good. And I had been around and attracted to the other. You know, <laughs> I had like thrown myself at narcissists and, you know, mainly men who really want that interested in me, you know. And, and actually to be with someone who was warm and open hearted, not just to me, but to the world. That was what I I wanted to bring back. That was still that's the hum. You know, it's a bigger hum than him. And and it's something I think I think about a lot. And I've had to think about and continue to think about because you know this survival story is not over you know that actually it's always been about making sure that we've he will carry on in the world our our relationships that he has formed be it with his children and his family but also with me will carry on but it may not always be in the most traditional sense so when I kind of slightly cut when I slightly let go of needing him to come back for me and then really digging into what I felt about him. Then I found my way back. And, you know, it's, it, it, it was also, there were tiny little moments with Jake the whole time, the dry sense of humour. You know, Jake's got the most beautiful sense of humour. And he was always, you know, I talk about it in the film. I remember going, first date, we went to see a Bridget Jones film. And I was so embarrassed because he laughed so loud. And I was almost turning around apologising. <laughs> so and then I realised that actually what he was doing was he was triggering the laughter. Um, sometimes when we go to stand-up shows with Jake, you know, and I used to see that the, the 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 comics would react to him and you could almost see them going like smart. I can see they like it. You know, he does something and, you know, we're in, Jake and I are in New York now and this weekend and we went to see Into the Woods last night, the Suntime. He's a massive suntime fan. And he was up and cheering. And I was just like, you know, oh my gosh. But actually there is a joy giver to him. And I, you know, he also has as many, many, many irritating traits as everybody does. But that was, became the focus, I guess. And so that feels like the great achievement, actually. The great achievement is that Jake is up now and standing and there and present. And, you know, he said to me last night, God, I'm here. We got, you got, you got us here. And that to me was like, yeah, this is there's something bigger than our relationship. And that is the conversation that I'm having now. You know, that conversation I'm having now is like, what now? But it's always been about trying to get him back. And then when something is so life and death, you know, I think, you know, I talk about deadlines. You know, you know more than anyone. I live with adrenalized deadlines. You know, I'm terrible for deadlines. I'm always like, yeah, it's going really well. I'm really excited. I'm just on the last... 10 pages and I haven't even started it. You know, <laughs> I'm always going, yeah, just give me till Monday. And I'm like, I'm my man. <laughs> you know, so I was used to deadlines, but I had forgotten the ultimate deadline, which is mortality. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, his mortality was threatened. And then I guess the other, you know, truly wobbly kind of, what I would have cut plot twist was that my own mortality Yes. The moment where you know, like, God, I think we were like five. Jacob had woken up in the sort of end of January, beginning of February. He medically induced comas are interesting because you ebb and flow. You don't come out. It's not like, "Ting, I'm here." You know, it's the waking and it's going to sleep and the waking and then the process of bringing someone around. So then we went into sort of like the reeling of not quite knowing who I was. And then I got to about April, May, and I started to feel this incredible pain in my chest and. But I almost don't want you to say it because when
0: I read it, I was so shocked. It's so annoying. I mean, I and I good. like... I could not believe what was going on. Like all of the things were like, it was like the biggest plot twist that... and Because I try not to read the flap before I start reading. Like I don't want to yeah. know what's happening. Yeah. So I almost don't want you to give away. But just to say, I could not believe it. It was like, there was one moment where you just said you looked as sort of lopsided and as wobbly and exposed as you felt and Mm -hmm. like that image of you and how you felt right then. Oh my gosh. It's just, you know, It's hard to read this without wanting to give you, like, a massive hug.
2: (laughs) Oh, I know. And I do, you know, I think about that a lot. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. You know, I I am so acutely aware now. I'm sure you are of people's stories, people's tragedies, people's pain, people's... And and I I never feel like I want to totally colonize it. You know, Mm -hmm. I think... You know, it's interesting your book is, you know, every every chapter has books that you've loved. And some I've read and most I haven't, and some I pretend I've read. You know, there's millions <laughs> of them. and um, but you know, there's stories. And I came to us that ours was another story, and I really believe that. And I love, you know, I, I'm I mentor young, a lot of particularly young women coming up. And one of the things I learned very early on is that you have to kind of kiss the joy and let it fly. You know, there's there's a desire when you mentor a, a person and when they become successful to go, I know I taught her all I know, you know. And actually the joy with that is let someone go and be their own thing. And that's what I sort of feel like with this story. You know, it was one of the things I felt when I was writing. it. I felt like whatever the criticism is, whatever anyone says about it, it will just be another book on the shelf and there'll be another great story to read. And I can I can hide it between other other stories. But when this story then got hit by these continual plot twists, I felt this very strange a discomfort with it actually not not mainly because I just felt like I almost wanted to apologize to the reader and go I'm so sorry to have to tell you this bit I don't want you to re-. because I didn't want to seem like greedy or like I was milking it or but then it I think sometimes life happens like this doesn't it you know you yes. don't just get these very neat life doesn't like I find this I think there's a lot of boring gray a lot of lovely and then there's suddenly like explosions yeah. as you know you know and then there's this there's, there's a the quiet period again and then but you never, once you've gone through that period, you never don't look over your shoulder slightly thinking, when is it, when's it coming again, you know? So true. I think, you know, I talk about chaos being my natural state, but I definitely find that feeling sometimes where I'm like, okay, today, in this moment, everybody's okay. Mm-hmm. okay we're okay, we're all okay. You know, I'm sure your county heads, you've got four children. You can't. You know, I spend, I spend most mornings I wake up going, okay, Mabel's there, Jesse's there, duh, duh, okay, Jake's okay, you know? And it still feels quite new. feeling. Oh my gosh.
0: I feel like we only scratched the surface. I had 8,000 more parts of your book I wanted to talk about, but this is the time I allot to podcasts because people stop listening after half an hour. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, lovely. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.